process of uh, Dhamma, of practice towards liberation or calm or insight, peace of mind, how that's, how that's moving along, why it, uh, why it brings up doubt, uncertainty. Mm-hmm. Can be just doubt, not certain how to, what, you know, how to uh, adapt to different situations in our lives, as we, situations change, the jobs, professions, families change, the bodies change, health changes, mm. people around us come and go, the feeling of, you know, how do I handle this, is this working for me? So there's a kind of, the very nature of, of change brings up a kind of, a sort of a wobble of trying to find the stable, stable ground you know, where, which we feel is myself, stable bit. And uh, naturally, one of the, um, one of the ironies or the, of, of practice is that uh, as, you, as you meditate and contemplate, one of the f- first uh, insights that becomes uh, clear is how changeable states are. Uh, this apparent stable ground is uh, seemingly unstable, thoughts come and go, the moods come and go and we think, oh well, that's, that's good because some of them are not very pleasant you know, confusing, jangled, strident thoughts come and go but then you also find that uh, the rather pleasant stuff comes and goes too <laughs> and even the feelings of um, certainty come and go you know, yeah. Uh, so you've got a kind of external sense of things changing and shifting, internally things change and shift, the emotions and the moods, and, and the more that we actually um, focus and, and stabilise our vision, our, our uh, attention, if you like, in meditation, you know, the, the way of looking, the way of really holding attention, focusing, concentrating, meditating, the more we do that, the more we begin to see how um, states are in inherently changeable. You know, so we get states we in meditation experiencing get quite high, blissful, happy states, or sometimes really quite ghastly, hindered, confused states. And you come out of that, and wow, you know. Um, so, but it is this process of of change and flux. Mm. So it's very difficult to form a kind of coherent impression of yourself based upon <coughs> these states. 
even though that's kind of what we want to do because the the very experience of shifting and changing and moving and uncertainty kind of sets up a reflex where something just wants to hold on, you know, to um, something, you know. And this is the paradigm, but and we hold on in various ways, like uh, when the, we may hold on to places, situations, people, relationships, but then because what what is perhaps we feel more under our control is holding on internally, or so we perhaps we hold on to being who we think we are. We hold on to developing that, you know, I'm a special person, or I'm at this stage or another, or I'm a zodiac sign, or I'm a, you know, whatever it is, um, and that kind of can get quite you can get quite self-obsessed in that way. Or I'm a sensitive person, or I'm a loving person, or I'm a person who needs this, or a person who doesn't need that, or I, these kind of things. You can get fairly refined in terms of, of self-definition about what we want, what we need, what we can't, what we are, the way we are, the way we always have been, because we were this way and that way when we were this age and that age and so forth, you, you know. <laughs> and why does it get so, so, uh, and then that is that can be defended, you know, as, as because I'm like this, then Everybody else should be like this to respect that, you know. So it can kind of you know, this strange irony whereby med- sometimes meditation can make you less flexible, less fluent, less um, easygoing, less spacious, because the, there's a tendency for the the changeability that you've been to experience to to affect one in a way that one starts to want to hold on to something more definite. Yeah. It's a basic instinct, the instinct for security. And the really difficult uh, bit to to um, to integrate is the sense that there isn't any security in any of this stuff, but there is security in in knowing, in awareness of the changeability, you know, which is the important bit. So you have what we call the conditioned or, or the mundane. And then you have something beyond that. And to shift from one to the other is a graduated process. You begin to have more trust in awareness, in um, knowingness, in you know, in, in that quality of insight, that 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 sense of of attention, pure attention, unbiased attention, attention that can learn to let go of things, let go of definitions, let go of of um, feeling, let go of emotion, let go of these powerful passions and drives, which are very convincing and compelling. There's an energy in them. Mm-hmm. These are not compelling because of some reason. And when you feel affected by something, you don't have to figure it out. You feel, you feel convinced because it floods your veins and your nervous system. You get charged up. This is the real thing. It's not something you figure out. You can feel it affecting your heart. So <clears throat> that's where conviction comes. It's an emotional experience. It's a heart experience. 
and it's, it floods everything. You know, so when we are angry or upset or rejoicing or you know whatever we're emotionally affected, threatened, um, relaxed, and so forth, then the, these effects, positive, negative, have us have we we feed on those. Somethingness feeds on those. We create our conviction out of that. Then we want to make that solid. You know, somethingness makes it solid. Even it's unpleasant, you know, because that sense of being filled by experience in an energetic way, in an emotional way, becomes a kind of a sense of solidity, of, of, of a reference point. Okay, life is mean and nasty, right, that is true, therefore I create strategies to cope with that. As long as I know what I am, where it is, then I can do something to... to create some strategies or some, something to deal with it. You know? So this is how our personality forms as a kind of series of strategies and patterns to, to deal with what we feel is the truth of existence. Mm-hmm. And what we feel is the truth of existence is an, is a, has an emotional quality, has an effective quality, um, it fills us, it, and when we sit and meditate, it's, it kind of whispers to us, and we begin to experience that. And a lot of our, of our practice is just beginning to work upon these areas of conviction, where we feel tight, where we feel, um, this is what I am, this is the way it should be, and so forth. Because, as long as we keep Firming up in those ways, we find conflict with other people who are convinced in their ways of the way things should be, and the way it is, and the way it isn't. (laughs) So, you know, if you're walking around feeling life is a threat and difficult, we've got to sit down and figure it out. You find conflict with people who think life's a breeze and just take it easy and relax and everything's okay. Why are they so, so irresponsible? You know? We should sit down and work it out, or if, and so forth. So you know, there's always some sense of clashing because of that tendency to to fixate on what I feel convinced by, which is compounded out of patterns of states of mind that repeat, that fill us, that affect us, that we feel connected to, that we feel fed by, attached to, formed around, because they keep repeating and repeating and repeating. So as they repeat, you think, well, that must be me, because he keeps coming back again. But actually, that is a pattern. And part of our meditation process is to recognize there are times when we're not actually in those patterns. Why we develop samatha, calming, um, stopping thinking. Loving kindness, faith, devotion is to actually radically learn how to shift the patterns. Well, I'm not actually patterning myself in the way I used to. And why one of the practices of living in community and trying to meet other people and be with each other is to is to reform ourselves in terms of of um, there are people I can trust or feel okay with or have differences of opinion with, but it doesn't really amount to a big issue, you know, you get to ease up some of these senses of of self, the boundaries of it, 
on an external level as well as an internal level. But of course, the the um, understanding is that uh, with uh, samatha, calming, steadying the mind is helpful because, in a way, it it changes the patterns in which you experience yourself. You feel yourself as being calm or steady or without thought or spacious or bright. But naturally, you the kind of feeling, oh, this is this is where I should be more often. I want to be more of this. I want to be in this place more. You know, the other stuff doesn't matter. I want to be here. I don't want the rest of this fuzzy stuff. So then the same kind of process occurs. And in simple terms, it's attachment to states, feeding on states, believing in states, um, searching for states, um, and so forth. States of mind, states of heart, states of being, states. Everything that we can witness, sense, feel, be moved by is of that nature. It's a state. And liberation is liberation from states. Letting go of states. Not being conceived of in states. (laughs) Not being caught in states, not asking for states, not rejecting states, just not being formed by states. And this actually is a very radical thing. Because you can begin to you contemplate how states of mind affect you. You know, how happy states, I become a happy, confident, positive, affirmative person. You know, and then maybe you just feel sick or tired. And you've become a kind of rather more negative, cautious, um, irritable person. You know, how, how, the, how the state of mind becomes yourself for that period of time. It's very confusing, isn't it? You know, when you go through illnesses and you, you know, you, suddenly your personality shifts or changes. Or particularly have, people have these very difficult things like, like uh, clinical depression where you just become a very different person. Mm. So you, you know, and you begin to realize with things like that, you can't rely upon this setup of, of identifying with states because states can change, you know, just through changes of health or changes of environment. So it's, you know, you can be find yourself becoming a different person. And states create self. In the normal, what's called the normal or mundane consciousness process is a process whereby consciousness, as it arises, generates a state of mind and a self as mirror images of each other. You know, as so see in the act of seeing, there arises the object, the seen object, and the sense of here I am looking at it. In the act of hearing, there's a sound, the sense of I'm in here listening to that comes up. Then we come to mind consciousness, which is the most complex. You get the thought, and I'm the thinker. And then when it comes to an emotion, there's the irritation, I'm irritated. I'm an irritated person. Uh, and then, you know, it comes like that, doesn't it? And then we, as we begin to 
you know, feel stuck in that, then I'm irritated because of, and so forth, and I never get what I need, and da 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 da. And the mind can proliferate around all that. And we can find, you know, life is painful, or people are a nuisance, or things are not fair, or this, that, and the other. Basically, arises from feeling irritated, or upset, or disappointed is the emotional base, and then the mind creates that sense of that, and then, you know, it, it proliferates, it generates reasons to, ex- to explain that. Mm-hmm. process you can kind of be very, you know, contemplate. I think particularly it becomes very apparent, you know, in... in, in um, in a kind of average, sort of safe-ish, comfortable-ish situation in England, say particularly kind of middle class, okay, nobody's starving, no plagues, pestilence, not getting bombed, um, you know, which is probably better than a huge <laughs> amount of the planet. <laughs> uh, and yet one can feel... Um, People get depressed, people get a touch of alcohol, people get dysfunctional, people kill themselves, commit suicide, depression. And you think, well, because they feel alienated or life's not giving them any rewards or what's happening, you know? Um, and in, in uh, Sangha life, which is actually extremely, it's not physically you know, it's really all right. Yeah, Buddha didn't set it up to make it physically ascetic, but just kind of neutral. It's not, you know, cushy, but it's really all right. You know, you know particularly in, in this uh, country where we never have to go a day without food, and the shelter is very comfortable, pleasant, easy, you know, and it's quiet, peaceful place, uh, beautiful piece of countryside and so forth. Um, you know, we don't have to kind of work all day and all night to make a living. Um, the bailiffs aren't going to come and take the monastery away if we don't pay our rent. Yeah, not really fear of religious persecution, you know, conflict with other religious sects is pretty all right. And yet, you know, you can find yourself feeling fed up with all this, bored. Is understood and uh, left out and so forth. And wow, where did this come from? <laughs> mm. But the the idea is you begin to recognise how the mind, you know, these kind of fundamental disturbances in the mind can can well up and generate a whole world around us of, of, dis, of afflictive experiences. And so our practice is really to come to those areas of disturbance where we're actually unable to, to feel comfortable, to handle it, to stay attentive to it. And the as long as the, the something is not properly attended to, 
the irony of it is that it, it seems permanent. See, although we might very well kind of recognize on one level things change, things are impermanent and so on, around us or in, in, within us, and yet there are places that seem fairly permanent, uh, which is the, uh, the, the kind of our self-view, our life message, I am this kind of a person or that kind of a person, or particular patterns that, that keep it emerging irritation or grief or alienation or disappointment or feeling belittled or so forth and these kind of keep coming up um, because things are only internally things only experiences are permanent if you're able to focus steadily on them you know like the average person doesn't meditate doesn't acknowledge the impermanence of thought and feelings is definitely a strong feeling that this is all quite solid. But it's only in that focused attention that you're able to really acknowledge impermanence, fundamental impermanence, radical impermanence. And it's bits that get very difficult to attend to. You know, emotionally charged pieces of, of, of uh, craving or passion or hurt or pain of some kind, you know, very difficult. So the sense of building up the samatha is to build up not necessarily even happy states so much as a really strong confidence in being present with whatever it is. Then so that that can be allowed to well up and shift and change. So there's this process of kind of a cleaning out, a purification of all our self-estimations, our self-doubts, our self-fears, our illicit passions, our strange murky worries, our history of grievances. <laughs> and this is actually, some of this is very uh, deeply embedded. This is what our process of liberation is about. It's not about you know, fixating on some nice state of mind, but actually, you know, getting stable enough to handle the the awkward and the painful experiences and letting them shift and change. And what is left is not some firmer sense of I am this, but a sense of, oh, well, I'm not that. <laughs> you know, until eventually the, the I am bit becomes irrelevant, it doesn't really matter who you are, it doesn't, it's not a necessary issue because there's a sense of stability and brightness. The issue of self, the sense of self really arises from this, this, this inability to handle the um, stress and suffering. So that's what makes us clamp into I am one of these and not one of those. And you can see that happen externally as well as internally. You know, you can see it in, in ethnic groups, in religious groups, suddenly get very strongly committed to being this and not that as a kind of defense system. And they, the more they pound the Muslim world <laughs> with bombs, the more firmly Muslim that, that group are going to get. <laughs> you know, we are this and not that, you know.
that's what happens, you know. And so, so similarly, you know, the, the more that we, we um, that kind of grasping at an identity occurs because we're not able to, to handle conflict, uncertainty, stress, disappointment, um, there's these places of pain or difficulty in ourselves. The process of liberation is one where you, you are dealing with that. So the funny thing is, you know, you can say, How, how's your practice different? Oh, really good, I'm getting some real basic pain now. <laughs> you know, I've dealt with a kind of fundamental little niggle as I've got down to a big, almost kind of pre-verbal groan. <laughs> Oh, that's good, good, good. Keep going. Because no. <laughs> it actually takes some time to just be able to sift through some of the, the niddering and twitterings of the mind to get down to the real business. You know? So just to be able to get to the real business is a sign of, of ah, you know, you're, you're entering the path. This is what's called someone who enters the path of stream entry is someone who's actually getting to the real point. And, uh, you know, this is, is something that, of course, is, is very difficult because you feel, oh dear, you know, I'm not really being normal, I'm not being, being very nice, I'm being rather strange, I'm kind of, you know. And then what is required is a sense of, this is supposed to be, this is what's supposed to be happening. Um, have, co- have faith, have confidence in that and just really see, develop the resources to be able to be present with that. Yeah. And you come up against these particular obstacles which are mentioned. You know, the Buddha points these out. The stream entry is confronted by three very powerful fetters. And fetters are way the particular patterns of self-identification form. Self-view form in particular ways, particular patterns and programs. One is this clamping onto a sense of a special historical identity, you know. I am one of these and one of those is what I am. And we clamp onto ideas about our past, or our role, or our function, you know. So I can find in my own mind, you know, I start to say, well, I am the abbot. Generally means I'm not getting what I want. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, the talk, I don't really think of myself in that way until I get, don't get what I want. Then when I get, don't get what I want, I think, well, I am the abbot. <laughs> Other times it doesn't seem to occur. It just kind of, you know, <laughs> so it's interesting, isn't it? How <laughs> you I've been here for twenty-five years and doing this all my life. I've worked so hard. Just basically, um, I'm I'm not getting what I want. So therefore, <laughs> I resort to some kind of historical pretext to back up my my claims on on uh, having and getting pleasant things or getting my own way. So naturally, this is, you know, okay, what's that mean? Beneath these kind of, these uh, reasons and which, yeah, there's a certain rational truth in that, but don't believe in rationality when you've got an, a passion, you know, that's just a decoy. You go down to the feeling of grumble, grumble, grumble. <laughs> and then what, you know, to, rather than to just produce some historical identity to justify that grumble, you're going to feel grumble. You know, how can you be with grumble? And, well, then you start to learn something. 
or even rather better than saying you shouldn't grumble, which doesn't really deal with it. You know, naughty. But this moment you should be grateful, happy, peaceful, serene. Mustn't grumble. It's an English thing, isn't it? Mustn't grumble. Mm-hmm. My mother used to say that how you all mustn't grumble. But uh, <laughs> despite this admonition to, to someone that mustn't grumble, I do grumble. <laughs> okay, right. Saying mustn't grumble doesn't seem to work. So it's the feel the grumble. How can I? How can I actually be present with a grumble? Well, I can kind of start to feel when I f- feel what happens when I grumble. The kind of mind gets gets jangling, running around. The emotions start churning up. Head starts buzzing. Also, I just start to feel what happens in my body. Sometimes I'm just not even aware of the body anymore. Just going to this particular thought or mood. So I just come back to the body and realise the body's kind of tight or constricted or tense. Just open up, straighten up. You know, let's grumble in peace now. So just sometimes just even coming to your body, coming out of that, without making an issue about the emotion, gives you a sense of, oh, what is that? Uh-huh. Well, look at that. You know, you've immediately got some sense of distance, which is not based upon any negation or, or criticism of the mood you're having. You're just finding a vantage point. So then, you know, just this, what, why mindfulness of the body? We, we establish that, and you can develop a state of, of concentration or settledness upon that basis. So we develop states in order to, to not to, be, to, to uh, become them, but to give us a vantage point from which we can view what we are becoming. You know, and you come out of that and you come to a sense of just being present, open, heart starts to settle down, feels relief of letting go. Oh. Mm. So this in essence is, is the, you know, how, how states are conducive when they're used for the purpose of, of liberating you from the ideas and the moods and the impressions of what you conceive yourself to be. And particularly around these intense places where the reflex is to go into historical identity of some kind. And another reflex is we get into speculation. It's another major fetter. We speculate on how it could be and how it should be and why it is and why it isn't and where it came from, what we should do about it, and where we go next, and so forth. So you get this kind of churning of speculations. Doubt. Mind keeps trying to figure out what to do, and how to do this, and what I should do, and could it be like this. We plan a lot. And all that is based upon a a way in which, rather than when we're not capable right now, or perhaps we've forgotten, to be able to actually bear with the dukkha, something that spins out and we start 
speculating on, on strategies which we could evolve to not have that experience. Hmm? To not have things like, you know, conflict with other people. You know, so I'll find some place where I can go away and get away from people. Where? Moon? <laughs> you know? So, or maybe different people are different. I can't imagine a single person who could possibly not be in conflict with sometime or another. <laughs> otherwise it wouldn't be another person, would it be me? And I'm in conflict with me sometimes. <laughs> so rather than that, you know, just realizing why we speculate, getting to feel the movement of speculation, I just want you to just stop doing that and and but you know, I bear with all that which is running in order to get away. Of course, the other major fetter for the for entrance to the noble path, the stream entry, is, is the fetter of attachment to systems, systems, customs, rites, rituals, techniques, and so forth, you know, which uh, becomes pretty obsessive. And this means things like, um, obviously, meditation systems are very prone to that. But it can be, um, you know, I only work from nine to five. I'm very sorry, but, you know, this is my time. No, no, you're, no sorry. You know, or um, I only do things on Mondays. I listen to people on Mondays. I don't listen to people on Tuesdays. So if you've got a problem, you have to wait till next Monday. You know, these things whereby we carve out, uh, we get systems dependent. Um, you know, there's a particular way you have to do this. If you don't do it this way, then it, you, know, you don't get attention. So we, 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 people, human beings are always creating systems and customs, which are obviously very useful to get some sense of order. But then it's the clinging to that, whereby you're not able to 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 prioritize a quality of of mindfulness or goodness or compassion or spaciousness, you know, which is much more less tangible, much less definable than a the time and a, and a and a routine, you know. So so very often we find ourselves actually in this strange process of almost missing the liberation by attaching to the meditation. I mean, I mean not, it's a very fundamental thing. Yeah. I can remember particularly when I was first starting the practice in, in, in Thailand, and I had this kind of particular system of meditation, which I wasn't that good at, and it was not very nice either. You know, kind of sitting there, trying to note, breathing in, breathing out. Noting, lifting, rising. I mean, it's hardly the kind of ecstatic, wonderful, rapturous, loving experience, you know. But you've got a sense, this is what, I've got this, I can do this, I can focus on this. But I'm a strange country, I don't speak the language, I've, so I, I've got this little bit of territory I can hang on to. You know. And uh, very occasionally, people are very, pretty nice, but occasionally, you know, some 
Simon Aaron would come round and kind of start looking at me or talking to me, and I'd feel this kind of sense of, oh, I've got to get away, I've got to get back to my meditation. I feel threatened by a 12 year old boy. Because it was disturbing my meditation. Which was, you know, thank goodness, because the meditation was pretty awful. <laughs> I couldn't just kind of say, well, actually, liberation is letting go of, of that particular tightness and panic. Mm-hmm. And it's like this in, in, in uh, these setups, how, you know, you can find yourself in, in this particular monastery. We generally have a kind of work period in the morning and in the afternoon. Some people go in the forest and so forth. So, you know, if you're after the meeting, all right, get out. I can get back to my, my meditation. And if you're the guest, guest monk or the guest nun, you know, somebody turns up at three in the afternoon and I've got to go and see somebody, guest. <laughs> you know, it's turned up. What do you want? <laughs> <laughs> Just doing my meditation. <laughs> you know, you're receiving guests and stuff like that. I could feel this myself, you know. In a sense of just trying to be with people and this panic in your mind to get away where I could get my meditation. Is it really worth it? Couldn't I just let go right now? (laughs) You know, you you can run away to the meditation, you sit there, try to calm down again, and think, what am I going to do about this? Maybe I'll create some other structure or routine that will prevent me being disturbed. More rules, more more structures to you know, so you can more defended against life. It's spontaneous things and people and events happening that I didn't want. So you kind of get incredible scaffolding. I think that's supposed to be about freeing up, wasn't it? Couldn't I just kind of look at the whole sense of liberation and step back a bit from this stuff, you know? Say, well. Perhaps liberation is just realizing that sense of clinging, holding on, tightening up, and feeling it for what it is, and knowing that there's no way in which this is going to take you anywhere good. Because <laughs> you can feel it, it feels really unpleasant. So it's not going to take you anywhere good, is it? The more you develop that. So, okay, you can let go of that. But much more fun, and the reason why we cultivate and we actually come up against these blocks and to, to sort to see these as almost like very clearly defined hurdles on this path that you've actually got to meet, because these are considered to be universal problems, not just problems, my problems or monastic problems, but universal problems for anyone on the path, these three, is to, to, to really... Because these are telling you something very deep, actually. It's awkward and embarrassing. It's telling you something very deep about the nature of forming self around anything. And it's always a, attachment to states. Imagine, even if you haven't got them. <laughs> those are the best ones to attach to, the ones you don't have. Because they can be fantastic, those states you don't have. 
I think jhana, fourth jhana by now, if I didn't have to receive the guests after the meal. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> I'd be blissed out, I'd be peaceful, I'd be into deep process work, I'd be dealing with my past problems, I wasn't kind of having to do the washing up, I could be, in, you know, doing some work on my my most deeply founded problems from my life, when I got to do the washing up instead. I could be getting really intense about something right now, instead of having to just kind of do the washing up and natter to the person next to me and where's the washing up liquid and I've got a hole in the finger of my glove and where do I get another pair from and so forth. Oh God. (laughs) I didn't come here to do this. (laughs) So this can be very, you know, we can get real doubt and real sense of despair sometimes about our lives through this attachment to states. And it's not to say, you know, that states aren't useful. We don't. There's a point in meditating, is to get that sense of you, just a simple reference that you can come to, using a particular stasis, a certain sense of balance that you can come to. Like, okay, make it fairly accessible. Just being here, breathing in, breathing out your body. Okay, you don't do breathing in, breathing out. Sitting there, and then getting a sense of general feeling of okayness, um, you know, forgiveness for others, kindness towards myself, uh, feeling, feeling, you know, some sense of, of appreciation and gratitude for where we are, some sense of contentment, reflection that actually brings you into a, a place of heartfulness that is, you know, actually this is a pretty good deal and, you know, nobody's really giving me a hard time and I'm well, healthy, fed, I'm okay, yeah, thanks very much, you know, we get that sense. And uh, then just witnessing through the mind, you get the body, the heart, and the mind, just, you know, that's meditation, isn't it? Getting a sense of balance with those, so when the stuff comes up, you've got something simple, you can say, well, wait a minute, you know, before I go into all that, with all its convictions, and all its stories, and all its what I've got to do and what I should be and Buddhism is this and meditation is that wait a minute put a hold on that baby you know (laughs) you've been in that buggy so many times before just go back to being ordinary right now yeah okay don't know who I am don't know where I'm going let go You know, just kind of cultivation, and it's like, can you do that? You know, some ways it's incredibly simple, and you explain it. No, there's no passion in it. There's no passion, isn't it? What did you do? Well, I sort of sat there being ordinary for an hour, letting go of a few things. Doesn't sound as good as well. I had this amazing insight and vision attainments. Jhanic bliss, depth, concentration, samadhi, something that only a few people have, special people have attained, special people have these kind of things that only are nimitas and signs that I'm one of those. You know, I'm going to be modest about it, but, you know. 
But how long are you, you sustain that? I mean, not, these things can be wonderful, marvelous. The energy that you can get from them can be used to your welfare. I'm not saying that calm, so forth, very very helpful. But just the attaching to it, so that then you're getting a panic if it's not around. You find conflict with situations that don't let you do it. You find yourself comparing yourself with other people about it. You wonder about how you can get the next one, how you can develop it and get more of it. You wonder if it's the same sort of thing that Ajahn so-and-so had, or Lumpur so-and-so did, or that or the other. Does this mean I'm one of those, or one of these? Mm-hmm. And how, you know, you think it's really kind of like it's emptying out is a radical process. But when you look at it, actually it's something you can do all the time, really. That's the beauty of it. You don't have to get some particular place where you can finally wangle everything around, shut everything down, put everything out there so you can get this special little place where you can do it. The idea is something that you can actually live it, you can do it all the time. You can experience those clingings. Yeah. When you're with other people, you experience your kind of tightening up around a view, or I, I don't like this this particular stuff this person's coming up with. Okay, do I have to fight with it because I don't like it, or can I just, you know, that's that's yours. It's the so broadening it, which I find is really over a long period of time is is most helpful. then you can really know, you know, a very simple thing in your life is just becoming an easier person. And you get a kind of faith in that, that, well, whatever the next bit's going to come up, I don't, haven't figured out, whatever the next bit's, you know, the next kind of thing, you know, get... So as I contemplate this, what happens if, you know, they start bombing Buddhist the people, the, some government or the other superpower decides that Buddhism is the enemy to global democracy, world peace and the new order. <laughs> they start bombing the hell out of us. <laughs> what do you do then? <laughs> I guess, you know, instead of hanging on to that, is there? I guess letting go is probably the order of the day. You know, when you get ill, as we're all going to do, when you can't, you're in pain, you can't operate so well, which is going to happen to all of us, you know? When you can't kind of sit upright in night, on your meditation cushion because your back hurts or you're ill, what are you going to do? So, don't keep backing the wrong horse. <laughs> Something, so, you know. So you get a sense of faith. From that understanding of, of letting go is, oh, well, I guess whatever it is, there'll still be a sense of being here. Still be some kind of heartful quality, some sense of, I can, I, you know, I don't want to be with this, but I can be, I can, and I can witness it. And that's what you develop. And really, then it's, you kind of look upon the conflicts and struggles in your life as, 
oh, this is good because it's making me a bit stronger. Mm. Rather than anything's going wrong. So then you actually you need you can actually move forward, move into the uh, problematic quality of human experiences as this is all grist for the mill because all of us are going to meet the big, big problem in our lives, aren't we? You know, which is how do you deal with pain, degeneration, disease, decay, death, you know? When you don't, you can't do your thing and be yourself and get your act together. This is the, you know, this is the big... Um, Examination, isn't it? See whether you've done your homework. So, offer this for your reflection.